0: Great. Are you ready for our fourth winter to be over? (laughs) Yeah, me too. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. I'm so glad that we get to be together today. Thank you so much for being here. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's always a privilege to be able to be with you. I actually have the privilege of working in a variety of spots inside the life of our church, so some Sundays I get to be here in Owasso, some Sundays I get to be on our Tulsa campus, some Sundays I'm on the platform, and some Sundays I'm behind the scenes, and so it's always a privilege to be able to be together. I actually have the privilege of getting to worship with Jesus more than all y'all, and I I love that. And so uh, let's give it up for Jesus and the band this morning. They did a great job this morning. I'm so, so thankful for that. Uh, Turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. That's where we've been in our series called Transformed. And we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1 in just a moment. But I'm so thankful for today. Today, um, we're going to be talking about family today. We're going to be talking about family and our family name. Uh, You saw the video earlier this morning. And then this afternoon, about 4 o'clock, there's a number of families that are coming together for a family dedication. There are a group of families in our church that are going to practice this milestone moment where they have a new child in their life, and they're saying before God and their friends, we intend to be a family that stands on the Word of God and that practices faithfulness with one another. And in our church life, if you grew up here or if you have the privilege of being here for a number of years, you have the opportunity of walking through life together based on the Word with friends and with family, and you can experience some milestone moments with your kids. One of those milestone moments is this family dedication. That's kind of on the front end, and on the back end, there's graduation. That guys, for those of you who are seniors, it's coming in just a few weeks. Graduation, you almost made it. Way to go. And so graduation is coming, and you have these milestone moments in between where you're making transitions from being a preschooler to being a child, from being a child to being a a young student to being an older student, and then you Step into young adulthood, and then you get married, and then you have all those things that married couples experience. And, and our family is just such an influential thing. In our lives and I love the fact that here in our church we have the privilege of being able to celebrate some of these milestone moments together it's just such a beautiful thing and when I think about a day like today when I think about a family dedication I'm reminded that when I look at those pictures of those little children of those little babies and I know you do this too what you see is you see one picture after another that represents an ultimate goal All you see in the life of a baby is potential and possibility and all this opportunity that God has given to that child and to us as a family to see something we've never seen before come to life and grow in a way like it's never happened before really in the history of the world. Ultimate goals, and one of the things I've discovered as I get older, and as, as and then you've experienced this too, I'm sure you've experienced that sometimes those ultimate goals, those. You know, those big ideas, those opportunities, that possibilities that we have, sometimes our ultimate goals, they get interrupted, and they get interrupted by our immediate desires. <laughs> they just get interrupted by our immediate desires. I remember when my dad and I, it was Thanksgiving, uh, one Thanksgiving, and we're at the dessert table. Now, my dad was a big man, okay? He was overweight. As long as I knew him, he was overweight. He was a big guy. And I remember seeing my dad go back to the dessert table, like the second or third time. I'm not sure exactly how many pieces of pie he had piled up on his plate, but he went back for the second or third round, and he just looks up at me with this really ornery grin on his face, and he says, yeah, I'm working on getting skinny and beautiful. I've got the beautiful part down. It's the skinny part that needs work. And he digs into that piece of pie, and he says, well, sometimes our immediate desires get in the way of our ultimate goals right and you've experienced that too you've experienced it in your finances you have this ultimate goal of wanting to retire someday or you want to save up so that you can pay cash for something and then this immediate desire shows up there's a sale at pennies i think there's been a sale at pennies for 70 years now i think is how that's worked or you know cole's clarence the guy clarence at cole's seems to always be there it's on clearance my wife says and so that's why i bought it and so our sometimes our immediate desires get in the way of our ultimate goals, or maybe uh, not. Maybe it's not finances. Maybe it is something like food. And like my dad, I just I want what I want when I want it, and I want what I want right now. Uh, guys, if you're dating, ladies, if you're dating, maybe it's about your physical relationship. Don't fully understand it, but Scripture teaches really clearly that inside the context of marriage between a husband and wife, that our physical relationship is beautiful, and it's blessed. And it's something that God takes great delight as a gift to give to you as a married couple. Yet it also says that outside the context of marriage, that kind of intimacy in a physical relationship is less than blessed. It's something that will burn you and that will hurt you. Yet I know in our dating relationships, sometimes our ultimate goals, really they're overcome by our immediate desires. And so today, here's what I hope that you take out of this. I know what you're going to see in this passage actually is interesting. If you're a believer today, I hope you'll pay really close attention because we're going to see four habits that help us choose our ultimate goals over our immediate desires. And it really does have to do with your family and with your family name as well as the family of Christ that, that you've been born into as a believer and as a follower of Christ. Now, if you're a believer, one of the things I hope you'll notice in this particular passage of Scripture Is that the four habits that I'm gonna talk about aren't optional for you as a believer? These are things that ought to just be standard features, standard understandings for someone who is a follower of Christ, for someone who would claim the name of Jesus and call themselves a Christian. These four habits just aren't optional. Now, if you're not a believer, or if you're still exploring what it means to be a person of faith, I'm really glad you're here. And I hope you'll listen to these four habits, because these four habits are all re- really good. And, and I think you could do well as someone who's not a follower of Christ to learn how to choose ultimate goals over immediate desires. I think your life would be better for it. But I also have to tell you that until you place your faith in Christ, you can treat all these four habits as completely optional. (laughs) You can treat them as... And so I hope you'll listen. I hope you'll pay close attention because there is value in all four habits, whether you're a follower of Christ or not. For someone who's not a follower of Christ, optional. But if you claim the name of Christ, these four habits simply aren't optional. This is the way we're supposed to live our lives. And so I'm so thankful that you're here. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Stand with me because we love to honor the reading of God's Word. And today I'm I'm reading from a slightly different translation of Scripture than we've been using. Sometimes we use the ESV, that's the English Standard Version, or for some of you the extra spiritual version of Scripture. Um, And then sometimes Chris, because he's memorized this from the NIV, uh, he'll read from the NIV, today I'm reading from the New King James Version, and I'm doing that because I kind of like the poetry that's in it today. And so it has the same meaning, uh, but, but there's a little bit of rhythm and a, real, a little bit of rhyme to it. So 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, is where we are today. And if you call on the Father, who, without partiality, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear... Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass the grass withers and its flower falls away but the word of the lord endures forever now this is the word of the lord which by the gospel was preached to you this is the word of the lord thank you so much you may be seated so here's my hope today i hope that today out of out of we out of this passage of scripture that we'll see how we can choose ultimate goals over immediate desires. And the first habit that I hope that you'll get into, I think the first habit that I hope that you'll have as a believer and a follower of Christ is this. I hope that you'll act like God is with you everywhere you go. I hope you'll act like God is with you because he is. Take a look at the passage again, verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work conducting yourself throughout the time of your here your stay here in fear That word fear there is sometimes translated reverential awe. It's not the kind of fear that comes from being afraid that somebody can squish you like a bug. (laughs) It's not that kind of fear. It's a totally different kind of fear. It's the kind of fear that comes from reverential awe. The idea that because of who this person is and because of what this person has done, I just don't want to disappoint them. I want to do the right thing, the right way, for the right reason while I'm in their presence because of who they are. Our family, several years ago, had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and we have a friend who plays trumpet at Arlington National Cemetery. He's a bugler and he'll play for funerals uh, daily at Arlington National Cemetery and he's part of the the Army Band and he plays he plays all of the presidential all the presidential rallies and all of those things. And while we were there, he took us to the tomb of the un. Unknown Soldier, And what an incredible experience that is. It's guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's only been one or two times in the history of its time of existence that it wasn't guarded. Even during hurricanes, there are men and women who stand guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And because we were with our friend who worked at Arlington, he took us into the barracks where the soldiers who are the guardians of that tomb, where they live while they're on duty, And I got to tell you, my whole family walked into that place and there's this sense of reverential awe. And you know, you've got kids that are 10 and 12 and 8 and 5. You've got little kids that are there and they're all playing around and doing stuff. But as soon as we entered those barracks and as soon as we entered those environment, it was really funny. We didn't say a word. All of them were like, gonna stand a little straighter. I'm going to be a little quieter. And this man walks in in his full dress uniform and he has his rifle at his side and he's going through, this is what we do and this is how we do it. And he says, this is, this is who I am and this is how I get to serve. And I've never seen my children act that way before. <laughs> There's a man with a gun in the room who's really, he knows how to use it. and But that's not the reason they're afraid. They're not afraid. They're standing in awe of his uniform, of his countenance. Of his name, you see as a family, you have a family name that you carry, and there was a time when our family name was enough for us to want to live with a certain kind of character and and you have a you have a family name, and my name is. Chad. My last name is Balthrop. I'm son of Charles. We don't talk that way anymore, right? Chad, son of Charles of the house of Balthrop. We don't talk that way. There's some fictions works where you see that a lot, where you see that kind of name. I'm Chad. And, and then there's, uh, there's a great Far Side comic. I decided not to show the picture, but there's the names we give dogs. Hey, this is my, this is my dog Rex. And then the next scene is the names that dogs give themselves. I am Rex Maximus killer of postmen, ravenger of couches. You know, it's, it's, you've got this name that, that expresses kind of a character, and you see that actually in Scripture uh, played out a little bit. The name of people reminds them of who they are and what it is that they've done and who they walk before. Even if you go all the way back to First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, what's he say first? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. James does it in the book of James, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. King Solomon for the nation of Israel, the wisest, most successful, most profitable king israel had ever had as a matter of fact during solomon's reign there was peace and beyond the peace there was so much silver in the land it says at one point they just stopped counting because there was so much silver he was so profitable he was so wise known as the wisest man to ever live when he sits down to write his proverbs you know how he starts it the proverbs of solomon the son of david king of israel even the Apostle Paul, when he starts the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Now, Paul, he's a typical preacher. He says a lot more. In just a, he, he just always talks a lot. So Romans chapter 1, Paul says this. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David concerning the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus. Act like God is with you. If you want to know how to choose ultimate over immediate, act like God is with you. Do you know why? (laughs) Because he is. He's with you and he's for you. That's what that verse says. That's what reverential law is. You have this name that you carry everywhere you go. You have this name that you carry everywhere you go. That's the first habit. There's another habit that you ought to to look at. The second habit, first you look at this idea that we're going to act like God is with us because he is. The second idea is we're going to act like you've been redeemed because you have. You should live your life like it matters. You should live your life like someone places value on you. You should honor your name, your family name, the name of your heavenly Father. You should honor your name because someone has placed value in you. Look, look at this real quick. Acts chapter, or excuse me, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed from something. You've been redeemed with some something. And you've been redeemed by someone. You weren't redeemed. And that's the interesting thing about our family names. Our family names come from our earthly father. But as a believer in Christ, your heavenly name comes from your heavenly father who redeemed you from something. Well, what did he redeem you from? He redeemed you from your sin. The worst thing you'll ever do on the worst day of your life, God looks to you and says, I can pay the price for that sin. I'll pay the punishment. I'll pay the penalty. And I'm not going to do it with something that doesn't last, like silver and gold, like some kind of metal that just tarnishes, or like some kind of valueless, valuable thing here, but valueless in heaven. I'm not going to do it with something that has value for a little bit, just for a temporary amount. I'm going to redeem you with something that's, that's priceless. You've been redeemed from your sin, but you've been redeemed with the blood of Jesus Christ. One of our founding fathers once said that the the price of liberty, that the tree of liberty often has to be watered with the blood of patriots. The ultimate freedom that you could ever experience is the freedom that comes from being free from sin and death, free from the temptation that traps you and causes you to stumble, free from the temptation that forces you to choose immediate desires over ultimate goals. That ultimate goal you have to someday be, fill in the blank. You know what the goal is. This is your ultimate goal. It's constantly tripped up because this immediate desire is fed by this temptation. James chapter 1 says, Let no one say when he is tempted by uh, evil, that he's, when he's tempted by sin, that he's tempted by God. Because God can't be tempted by sin, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. Today, you've been redeemed from your sin. You don't have to live by the world's rules anymore. That's what it means when it says you've been redeemed from from the traditions of your fathers. That doesn't mean every fatherly tradition is bad, but all those sinful things that your mom and dad passed down to you, all the effects of that generational sin that started with your grandparents and your great-grandparents that's been passed from one generation to another, that cycle can end with you because you've been redeemed from sin and you've been redeemed with blood, a price that is priceless a value that is inconceivable, and you've been redeemed by Christ. Some of you this morning, you got up and you're just convinced that your life has no value or no meaning. And one of the reasons why is because you got ready this morning, and as you got ready, you you stepped on a scale, <laughs> and the numbers on the scale just kept rolling and rolling and rolling, rolling, rolling. You know, they just kept rolling. And you're like, ah, and now your heart's broken and you feel like you're value less because of numbers on a scale. And some of you looked in your checking account last night because you were paying a bill or maybe you're working on your taxes. And again, numbers on a screen. And you think to yourself, value less. I have no value. Can I tell you that's a lie? that come from those earthly traditions of our broken fathers before us, right? You have been redeemed, and when God looks at you, he sees the priceless, immeasurably matchless blood of Jesus that he used to pay for your life. You have exceeding value in the eyes of God. Act like it. Act like it. Act like God is with you because he is. Act like you've been redeemed because you have. And Here's the, here's the next idea. Act like you have an influential purpose. Act like you have an influential purpose, and, and the reason is really simple, because you do. You know that value of something? The value of something is always determined by three factors. You can you could use a car to illustrate this. You could use an instrument to illustrate this. You could use three things always determine the value of something. Who made it? A Stradivarius violin is worth more than just something you're going to grab at an old pawn shop, right? Stradivarius. Uh, who made it? That's what gives it value. Who bought it? I have a friend in town uh, who, who had a guitar. And you know, there was a time when Garth Brooks lived here in Owasso. He had a guitar and he showed it to to Garth Brooks my friend bought the guitar it was a good guitar but it wasn't a great guitar and then he shows it to his friend Garth Brooks who plays it the value of that guitar just went up alright <laughs> because of who played it and, and then and then Garth goes here's what I'm going to do for my friend he took out a sharpie and he signed the guitar <laughs> what was its purpose the value of the guitar was determined by who made it by who used it by who used it, who bought it. You've been redeemed from your sin by someone who has made you for an exceptional, incredible purpose. Act like you have an influential purpose. Look at the passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope were in God. Verse twenty-two: Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now, next week, these next few passages, these next few scriptures, we're going to go into in a deeper way. But, but for today, just recognize this: you have this influential purpose. It's right there in verse twenty-two: Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently. I think it's interesting that Peter here, he says, we ought to love people. You ought to love people sincerely. You ought to love people fervently. What does fervent mean? It means with trustworthy, honest, true passion righteous passion passion is the idea that we would love people fervently with sincere brotherly love and with passionate truthful honest god god inspired love we should love people and i think it's important for us to recognize you have the opportunity in your family to be the one who walks into the room and grace follows after or you have the opportunity. doesn't matter how old you are. You could be the mom or dad. You could be the son or daughter. You could be the grandparent or the cousin. You can be the one that when you walk into the room, everybody's like, oh, I don't want them here. You could be the one that everybody can't wait to see at Thanksgiving. Or you could be the one that everyone just hopes doesn't show up at Thanksgiving. Why? Well, because you could be the one that acts like you have an influential pur- purpose because you could do. Because you could, you could be the one who in sincere love love loves people with brotherly love and with a fervent passion passionate godly love that passage is just really interesting there because of the way peter does this in the greek There are two different words for the word love. Actually, there's more than two words, but here he uses two different words. The first word is phileo. It's actually where we get the word or the name of the city, Philadelphia. We call it the city of brotherly love. That's because in the original Greek, phileo literally means brotherly love. The kind of love that you have because you're family. The kind of love because you have the the same blood. The second word that Peter uses there is the word agape. Agape is the word for unconditional love. It's the kind of love that says I choose you no matter what. I choose you even in your moment of unfaithfulness. When you're unfaithful, I will be faithful. I choose you anyway. In the worst of your moments, I choose you. When you're wrong, when you're dishonest, when you're untrustworthy, when you're a liar, I choose you anyway. It's the kind of love that chooses no matter what. It's almost like in our wedding vows, the agape love when we say for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer in sickness and in health till death do us part. Uh, in those marriage vows, when we say I choose you in sickness sickness and in health for better or for worse. It's almost like we're making this promise before God and our friends to one another to say, agape, I will be faithful to you no matter what. And and if I have to deal with anybody else's worse, I'd rather deal with your worse than anybody else's. And if I have to deal with anybody else's sickness, I'd rather deal with your sickness than anybody else's sickness. It's the kind of, it's the kind of love that says, I choose you No matter what. And part of what makes this so fascinating for Peter to use this language is if you remember, Peter was the impetuous disciple. He was the one who was always putting his foot in his mouth. And at the end of time, at the end of his time with Jesus, remember, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tonight. And Peter's like, heck no, I'm not going to do that. And then the the soldiers come and they take Jesus away to be crucified, and everybody runs, including Peter. And he's seen three times by three different people. With each time, he's asked, "Hey, I, I think you were with Jesus, weren't you? The guy with Jesus? I think I saw you with him." Three times he says, "No, no, I wasn't with Jesus." And actually, with each time, it gets a little more passionate, it gets a little more, uh, it gets a little more violent, and he actually ends up cussing in the middle of it. He's like, "Heck no, I don't!" And you know, he uses harsher language to that with a little girl. He's saying, no, I don't know Jesus. And by the time Jesus dies on the cross, before he's risen from the dead, before Peter knows that the miracle has happened, Peter, for all intents and purposes, quits the ministry. He goes fishing. That's what his job was before, right? His job was to be a fisherman before, so he left what his ultimate goal was, to fulfill that immediate desire to just, I guess I'm just going to have to make it on my own. And then he saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, on the shore while he was fishing. And it's almost a Forrest Gump kind of moment because he sees Jesus and all the disciples immediately start rowing back, but not Peter. Peter dives into the water and swims to the shore because he's just so excited to see Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus begins to restore Peter. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but when he restored Peter, he asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And then Peter would say, yes, I love you. And then Jesus would say, well, feed my sheep. Well, Jesus, I'm a fisherman. <laughs> I don't know much about sheep, but okay. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. You know I love you, sure. I'll. Twice Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? Brotherly love. Then feed my sheep the last time. He says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you choose me no matter what? Will you be faithful to me no matter what? Romans chapter 3 verse 4 says something so amazing. It's actually, It's actually verses 3 and 4. It says, but what if some do not believe? Will the faithfulness of God be without effect? And then it goes on to say, certainly not indeed. Let every man, let God be true. And, and every man, a liar because God is going to be faithful to his word because he chooses you. Peter, do you phileo brotherly love me? Peter, do you agape? Do you choose me no matter what? And Peter said, yes, yes, Lord, you know that I do. And in that moment, Peter was restored back into this right relationship with Jesus, with his, with his heavenly father through Jesus, And in this space, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's calling back to that moment, except this time he's not saying do this between you and your heavenly father. He's saying because of whose you are, because of what he's done, because of the incredible exceptional value that you have in Christ, because of the name that you carry, because of the God who is with you, You can now carry that and experience brotherly love with people. You can be the one who gives that. That is your influential purpose. And you can do it whether they reciprocate or not. You can do it in the worst moments on the worst days of their life. You can be the one who carries grace to them as one who agape, who chooses to love them anyway. Remember, again, Romans 3. But God demonstrates, he proves his love for you in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died on the cross for us. Act like you have an influential purpose. Do you know why? Because you do. That's what it means to to bear the name of Christ and to to follow him. Act like God is with you because he is. Act like you've been redeemed because you have. Act like you have this influential purpose because you do. Actually, that, that last idea this influential purpose that we should love people. Every time I read that passage about Peter being restored, Peter, do you love sheep? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. I always thought it was funny that Jesus never said, Peter, do you love sheep? (laughs) Uh, No, I'm a fisherman. I did that. I did fishing for a reason, right? Um, And I think maybe God's saying that same thing to you. He's not asking you to love people because of what they do. He's asking you to love people because of who he is and what he wants to give to them through you. Isn't that amazing? You get to be there when the miraculous happens, when you love people. You get to be there when eternity changes, when you love people and you share the gospel with them. You get to be there when God allows them to see themselves become something more than they could ever imagine on their own. Act like you have this influential purpose because you do. And here's the last piece of it. If you're going to choose ultimate over immediate, those are three habits. Here's the fourth habit. Verse 24. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Act like every moment matters, because it does. Act like every moment matters, because it does. You have this moment to share brotherly love and agape love with the people who come into your circle right now today. As soon as this service is over, you're going to get up and you're gonna walk through the halls of this church. Some of you are gonna to go to a small group. Some of you are gonna go home. Some of you are watching online and you're gonna do something else after this or play another game or do something else, fold the laundry or do whatever you need to do today and enjoy the incredible weather. And God's gonna bring people into your circle and they're gonna be here for a moment. James chapter says, four says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. How will you make the most of this moment so that you can choose an ultimate goal over an immediate desire, so that you can love someone the way Christ loves them, so that you can exhibit, if you can't, I had a friend who used to look at people and say, God loves you and I'm working on it. <laughs> and so uh, even if you can't love them with the agape love, maybe you can start with that brotherly love, the, uh, you know, God loves you, but I'm working on it kind of love. Maybe you could recognize the value in your own life so that you can honor the value in someone else's life and maybe you can be like my children on that day. They were in the tomb. They were in the, in the barracks of the men who guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. Maybe you can walk with a little more honor and a little more dignity because of the name that you carry and what that work of his name has done in your life. My dad, many of you know, I talked about him at the beginning you know that he passed away about a year and a half ago, and COVID was the reason why. And, and I've told stories about him before, and I do carry his name. He was Charles Edward Balthrop. I'm Chad Edward Balthrop. My grandfather was Oval Edward Balthrop, and my son is Cadman Edward Balthrop. It's just a family name that we've passed down. But for my dad, that name of Balthrop meant something because my father was adopted and so it wasn't his birth name it was the name of the of the parents who adopted him and so for him that name was a gift and i can remember us having these conversations about the meaning of our name and the character that he hoped that our name would represent and he would say he would say things like our name this name is a gift but actually more than a gift it's a stewardship it's a responsibility And uh, he would say, I have the responsibility to take this name and honor it well and then pass it to someone next better than I got it. That's the stewardship of our name. And I'd love for you to carry that name well. You carry the name of Christ. And in every moment that you breathe... You have this responsibility. It's a gift. Your salvation is a gift. The life that you have, the opportunity that you have to overcome temptation, it's a gift that God's given to you, and you carry this name. Carry it well. Steward that name well, so that at the end of your days, you can hand it to someone else better than you received it. You know, every week we've had the Mission Life Challenge. So my hope is that today, Family Dedication Day, we've talked about our name. Maybe you have the kind of name that you want to honor and it's easy for you to honor. Maybe the history of your family is shady and challenging. What if you're the one who redefines your name? What if you're the family who can hand the next generation a name that's worth more than it is today? What if you could be the people who would carry the name of Christ? In, in Acts chapter 13, the people in the city of Antioch, their behavior was so influenced by, the, by who Jesus was that that was the very first time that people were ever called Christians. Not because they said, it's not because of branding. Hey, call me a Christian. I'm a Christian. It's not because they wore a cross around their neck or they wore a hat. It's not because of any of those reasons. It's because the way they acted and the way they talked was so different from everyone else and so similar to the way Christ lived his life that lost people looked at them and went, I think you're a Christian by the way you talk and by the way you act. I think, I think you're a follower of Christ. You can be the person who bears the name Of your family here on earth, like that. You can be the person who bears the name of your heavenly father, like that, here on earth. And so the mission life challenge for today is really very simple. I hope you'll have a family meeting, that you'll gather your family around, and you'll just ask one simple question What do we want our name to mean? What do we, not what does it mean now, what do we want our name to mean? Sometime this week, have a seat with your family, circle them up. What do we want our name to mean? I hope you'll, I hope you'll do that sometime this week. I'd like to invite you to pray with me for just a minute. Can you bow your head and close your eyes? And, and I just want to encourage you today. I don't know what the history of your family is, but God is in the business of redemption. He can give value to the valueless. He can take the broken and make it whole again. He can take what once was old and make it brand new. So whatever your history of generational challenges are, you don't have to live by those former traditions of your fathers anymore. And it begins when you place your faith in Christ. And so today, if you're not a follower of Christ and you've heard the things I've had to say and you find that intriguing and you want to know more about it, we would love to talk to you. After I pray, there'll be people down front. There are people right next to you. There are people right next to you who can tell you what it means to be a follower of Christ, to claim the name of Christ. I hope you'll say to someone, I want to know more about that. Help me understand what it means to be be a follower of Christ. If you're watching online, there's people who are, who are there ready to, to talk to you through a chat room. They would love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so we're going to pray together, and after we pray, we'll stand. I hope that you'll make some kind of move towards letting your name be something that honors your Heavenly Father, something you can wear with godly pride. And if you're a believer. If you're a follower of Christ, these four habits are non-negotiable. These are things we just have to do and be. There wasn't really an option inside this passage. It didn't really give us an option to say, hey, I'm in for this one, I'm out for that one. No, these are things we must do. And if you're a father or a mother and your kids are in this room and you've been acting in a way that would cause them to regret their name, If you're a son or a daughter, if you're a grandparent or a cousin, and you've been acting in a way that would cause your family to regret their name, then maybe today, maybe today, you should find the courage to look your family in the eye and say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Let's do better together. Let's make our name mean something. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the beautiful name that you've given to us, the name of Jesus, by which all men must be saved. There is no name among heaven or earth like that one. And so I pray that today we would honor you well. That we would honor you well, not because we're so good, but because of the gracious goodness that you've given to all of us. Let us honor you well because of the sacrifice you made for us on the cross at Calvary. Let us honor you well because you didn't simply die on the cross, but you rose from the dead, and now you walk with us. You are with us, and you are for us, and you are moving through us. And so I pray at the end of our days that we would be able to say, this name by which I am called, I have stewarded well. I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. Let us be the people who can claim that and hand your name to another generation, stronger, clearer, and better than we found it. We love you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.